You may not have been at a church before where there is clapping during worship or where people are standing um, and putting their hands in the air during sung worship. Just to say if, you, if that is the case, then hopefully you're not too freaked out by, by it. But I would have to admit that many of us, the first time we see or hear something like that, sometimes are a little bit freaked out. But all it is is us wanting to praise God. As I said earlier, we praise God with our, all of our lives, with, all, with our finances, with our possessions, with our time. Excuse me just while I sort this out. Um, and that's what people are doing when they put their hands in the air. That's what people are doing when they clap. Although we do have fantastic musicians, they're not clapping the musicians in the same way they would in a, in a concert. I nearly said a pop concert, but that would make me sound really uncool. Um, but you know, so, you know, this is all about Jesus. We are gathered together because of Jesus. The reason that we come together like this is only because of Jesus. Um, just to finish off the notices from earlier, the dates for next year's Naturally Supernatural Conference. So it, write this down. At least 50 of you. <laughs> okay. It's 28th of July to the 2nd of August. There is early bird uh, booking discounts. Uh, so please do sign up and uh, get involved with that. We'll let you know. Uh, it'll probably be under Peter O'Brien again, but the, the O'Briens are going to book in August as well. And so that way we'll all be in one big happy family camping. If you don't like people here, then don't put yourselves in the Southside group. Just say not Southside or something like that. So uh, this morning we're continuing a series that we've been doing over the past number of weeks. Um, and it's called I Am. If you're just visiting us, this is not I Am's about God. This is not I Am's like about how when God revealed himself to Moses in the Old Old Testament. He said, I am who I am. It's not the divine name I am that we're thinking about. It isn't how Jesus picked up on, on that when he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. The, you know, just very briefly, this is a series called I am and it is a series about us. And I, I'm always quite kind of like careful about the use of the word I in a church context. I change a lot of what I sing from I or me to us and we, because we are called into a fellowship, we are called into a body, we are called into, into a family. And, and one of the dangers for that, as I see it at least, in, in what we would perhaps call evangelical Christianity, is, is that it cannot become all about me and Jesus. Uh, but the truth is this, it is about you and Jesus, but it is not all about you and Jesus. It is about what Jesus is doing in you as you become part of the body of, follow, of his followers. Uh, there, there, it's said that there can be no such thing as a Christian apart from the church. And that is true. If you are a true follower of Jesus, like it or not, you are part of the church. You may not always be part of a local expression of church, but you are part of the church Catholic with a small c, meaning the church universal, the church in all places and at all times. And so I say that to preface the fact that we are doing a series called I am, but I don't want this just to become a series um, in which we do that whole kind of selfish thing. It is all about me and Jesus and I can shut my eyes and ignore my brothers and sisters to my left and my right. And my brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, my brothers and sisters in all different parts of the world. Um, and, but this I Am series that we are doing at the moment is a series called I Am and it is taking what I believe to be some fundamental truths that the Bible teaches us about us as human beings, as people who are trying to follow Jesus, but in some cases just as human beings full stop. So you'll remember that we started off by thinking about how I am created in the image 
of God. And, and that applies to you whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. You might be here this morning trying to make your mind up. You might be here this morning because your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad or your neighbour has dragged you along kicking and screaming saying, I don't follow Jesus. And even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you don't believe in Jesus, I want to say two things to you. Jesus believes in you. And secondly, you are made in the image of God. That is a fact. Okay, every single person is made in the image of God um, and therefore is capable of immense things. You are capable of so much because you are made in the image of the creating, loving, communal, always good God. And you all need to hear that over yourselves this morning. You are capable of so much. So we started off by thinking, I, I am created in the image of God. We then went on to think about the fact that we are, I am a work in progress. We see that throughout scripture again and again. I am a work in progress. God takes us from how we were and he is in the process of transforming us. It is, an, it is a never ending, this side of glory uh, task. We are always on this trajectory, hopefully, and sometimes the trajectory dips a little bit or sometimes it might even go back the other way at times. But we are all on this trajectory. We start off here and we are becoming more like Jesus. We are being, we are being transformed constantly. I am a work in progress. Next, we thought about how I am sent. We saw that one of the big things that is spoken over the people of God from the very beginning, and this is because you're made in the image of God, is that you are a sent people. God is the one who, who comes to us. God is the one who created. He's the one who wandered in Eden looking for Adam and Eve, calling out, where are you? After they had sinned, he's the one who sent the prophets in, in, in order to tell his people how to live and to encourage them and to try and get them back on track. Ultimately, he is the one who is sent sent himself in Jesus and he is also the one who commissions his church as we're going to read in a moment's time to go out so I am sent then after that we thought about the one that I said I really didn't want to speak on and it is this I am a sinner and a few weeks ago we thought about that we thought you know we can't just take all the stuff that we really enjoy in the Bible and not focus in on some of the really tough teaching we can't just take you know like half of the gospel message and not the other half we thought I am a sinner and then last week because it was a youth-led service we came up with something really cool (laughs) okay I am not the long-lost cousin did I get that right I am not the long lost cousin last week, thinking about the fact that you're all part of the family. We're all part of the family. You're not like that embarrassing relative, okay? I'm looking around. Some of you are that embarrassing relative. No, but, but none of you in the family of God, none of you are that embarrassing relative who people think, oh no, it's Christmas. We're going to have to invite them over. Oh no, it's a birthday. We're going to have to like, have to, you know, admit that that person is part of our family for a day. None of you are that. In Jesus Christ, there is no embarrassing uncle shoved off in the corner or embarrassing aunt who doesn't get invited to things. In Jesus, we are all One, we are brothers and sisters, no aunts, uncles, uh, all brothers and sisters in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to think about something that we have already enacted out this morning. Or for some of you, we've already enacted it out. And it is this, I am challenged. I am challenged. I want to read from the beginning of the book of Acts. This is Luke's second volume in Uh, Luke is a doctor, so when he writes, he has done so much 
study. He has weighed up the evidence. He's taken it all on board. And then as something akin to an expert, Luke puts it down on paper so that this guy Theophilus, perhaps somebody who he mentored, somebody who might have led to faith, can continue to grow as a follower of Jesus. And he writes this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, and that that former book is the Gospel of Luke as we now call it. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, just to pause very quickly there, the Jewish people were waiting for a political Messiah. The Jews had been oppressed The Jews had been under various um, uh, dictators, for want of a better better word. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that they were taken into exile. Some of them were sent back from exile. Uh, And now, in the New Testament, this is just like a a two-second compression of it all. But now they're under Roman authority. And so the Jews, for for absolutely ages, have been oppressed. and And they're waiting for a political messiah. As they read the Old Testament... Uh, they, they saw God coming and delivering Israel, delivering the Jews into their own land and this place where they were going to be a nation, where they were going to be untouched, where they were going to be untouchable, where they were going to be the people of God. And so that's what is behind this question here. Are you now, Jesus, now that you've done all of this stuff, now that you've proved who you are, now that you've died, now that you've risen again so that we can believe everything else that you did, are you now going to create Heaven on earth, Zion, Israel. That's what is behind their question. And Jesus says to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him. From their sight. I am being challenged. I was thinking this week through some of the different characters that we come across in Scripture who encounter. God. I was thinking about what is one of those common things that happens when people encounter God. And I was thinking, well, yeah, people are encouraged when they encounter God. Can you put this as an actual question? When you encounter God, are you encouraged? Okay, put your hands up. If you're encouraged when you encounter God. Brilliant. Fantastic. So everybody who encounter, or, or those, I'm going to say it's everybody because I know that not everybody would ever put their hand up. So w- when we encounter God, we are encouraged. And that is one of the things that I think the church majors on. Uh, but as we work our way through scripture, as we look at people who like us are made in the image of God, who like us are flawed, are works in progress, are sinners, are not the long lost cousin 
Um, as we look at these people, we see another thing in encounters with God, and it is this. We see challenge when people have a genuine encounter with God. I want us to think back through the Old Testament for a moment. So if we think about Abraham, he's there, he's in this land that has belonged to, you know, so is to his father, and it's been, it's been in his family for generations. He has an encounter with God, and God says, I want you to go somewhere else. Now, I am sure it was encouraging to Abraham to hear from God. Because like, surely, like, if you hear from God, that's encouraging no matter what God says, right? Even if God tells you not to do something, it should be encouraging. Because you've heard from God. If God says, don't marry that person, you shouldn't be discouraged. You should be encouraged because you've just heard the voice of God. That's amazing. So Abraham is being told to move. He's encountered God. He's encouraged to hear God's voice. This is all me reading into scripture, but I'm sure it's a legitimate thing to do. But then he is challenged by God to move somewhere else. There is encounter, there is encouragement, but there is also challenge. Moses, after he's killed the Egyptian and he's off in Tekoa or, you know, or wherever it is, or his father-in-law's Tekoa, I get names mixed up, but you'll forgive me. And he's there and he's this shepherd and he has an encounter with God in the burning bush. And, and that would have been an exciting thing for Moses, right? The God of all the earth reveals himself to Moses. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That would be amazing. That's like we, we, we sing about having a face-to-face encounter with God. Moses has just had it. He would be encouraged. And then God says to him, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to stand before Pharaoh. And Moses is like, uh, 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 I can't do it because I've got a stutter. And, 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 and <laughs> that wasn't deliberate. <laughs> and, so Mo- and so God says, you know, take Aaron with you and that sort of thing. But there is, there is encouragement and encounter, but there is also challenge and encounter. I was thinking about Ruth and Naomi, and, and it's not as explicit um, in, in the book of Ruth, but I believe that uh, Ruth would have been encouraged through her encounter with the God of Israel, through Naomi and through, uh, through her husband and that sort of thing. She would have been encouraged, but she was also challenged because she had this opportunity to stay where she was, but she says, no, I'm going to come with you. Your God will be my God. Where you live, I'll live. There must have been some form of encounter with God for this lady to say that. And yet she then faces that massive challenge of becoming a refugee, a stranger in a foreign land. We see it in Daniel who refuses to worship. He has an encounter with God, encouragement. But then he faces the challenge of standing for God in Babylon, in exile. We see it in the disciples. They have the encouragement of an encounter with God, but they're challenged to leave their boats, to lay everything down, to follow after him. We see it in Paul. He has an encounter with God, and yet his whole world is flipped upside down. There is encounter and there is challenge. Again and again throughout Scripture, I I believe this. As we look at people, people like us, we see that encounter with God is encouraging, but encounter with God is challenging. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, the job of the newspaper is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You might have come across that, that phrase. And I, I was looking it up over 
it was yesterday morning or Friday, I was looking up this phrase. Um, and apparently it's one of these like kind of things that's gone down in folklore. You know how people say, oh yeah, that got said. And then it's a little bit like Chinese whispers in it. And, and so it wasn't actually put down like that. It was, it was written in Chicago in I think the late 1800s. And, and it's a, a fictional Irish bartender called Mr. Dooley. And, and he was like this kind of, he was like a social commentator but in a cartoon strip, basically, is my way of taking on it. But people have picked up on that phrase, uh, that the job of the newspaper is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. But but then uh, Christians have taken that phrase at times, and they've said, well, actually, that's what the gospel is about. You know, they've they've taken newspaper out of that. And and, and so people might say that Jesus came to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And, and, And my question that surrounds this whole area of thinking is this. Am I being disturbed enough as a follower of Jesus? Or, or, or am I just taking all of the good stuff? Am I going off to a conference here or a conference there? Or am I coming to our gathering on a Sunday morning and going, oh, fantastic, God, encourage me, encourage me, encourage me, bless me, bless me, bless me, meet me, meet me, meet me, with, with no challenge. As followers of Jesus, are we accepting that genuine encounter with God throughout Scripture always brings both challenge, uh, both encouragement, yes, but also challenge? I read this quote. It's by a, a guy. I think he's a principal of uh, one of the big theological schools in America. I've forgotten which one. But he says this. We must also admit. So, yes, we, we can say that encounter with God should be encouraging. Absolutely, it should be. We pray Every Sunday morning that people are going to be encouraged as we gather like this, that people are going to be encouraged as we gather in our connect groups, that we're going to be encouraged as we eat together and meet together and drink coffee together. But, but we also pray this, because this is what this guy says. We must also admit that Jesus' strategy was to confront and challenge as often as to provide words of comfort. He healed the paralytic in Mark 2, but not until he had first said, Son, your sins are forgiven, not the comfort the paralytic had been seeking. Or when the rich man asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him to sell everything and follow him. There was encounter and there there must be encouragement in encounter. It goes without saying that encounter with God, by its very definition, must be encouraging. He is God and he has revealed himself to us. But there is also challenge in encounter. And the reason that I read that passage from Acts at the beginning is because I believe that in that passage, but we're going to think about some others as well, uh, that in that passage we start to see this whole idea of, 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 a, of an encounter with God being both a comfort but also a challenge. And, and I don't want to prescribe too many ways in which you might be challenged, okay? Because it's not, actually, it's not for me to say, and therefore you should be challenged in that way, that way, that way, and then go back to being encouraged. But I want to suggest some ways that I think in scripture we see an encounter with God being both comforting and challenging. And the first thing that I think that we see in this passage in Acts is that the disciples view of the church, okay, and and they're talking Israel, but I'm going to apply this to the church. The disciples view of of Israel, our view of the church, will be challenged by a genuine encounter with God. What do I mean by this? Well, simply that the disciples got it wrong here. Okay, when the disciples said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You can almost imagine like Jesus 
hitting himself in the head and going, guys, you've been with me for three years. You've been hearing my teaching about the kingdom in so much bigger than Israel. You've been seeing my teaching. You've been seeing my enacted parables about the kingdom being so much bigger than Israel. And yet here I am on the day that I am leaving you. Because remember, Jesus knows that he is going now. And they're still asking this very, very basic Jewish question. Are you going to make Israel again? And you can almost just hear Jesus going, oh my goodness, you still don't get it. And, and, and what I can imagine Jesus perhaps saying to us if he was here at Southside this morning, we're saying, Jesus, come to our church and come to our place where we all sit in these rows and we look up at somebody and we hear this teaching and we sing these songs. It's absolutely amazing. And sometimes we even pray for each other, but half of us aren't very comfortable praying for each other. So only half of us do it and the other half are going to get comfortable. That's a prophetic word. Um, But you can almost imagine Jesus coming and looking at what we have made church into and saying, you still don't get it. Amen? Are there any amens for that? You still don't get it. You still have this small, inward looking focus that the people of Israel had. And it was understandable. They had that focus because of the context in which they lived. They had that focus because of the context in which they were being, isn't it hard being a Christian in the UK at the minute? No? Just in case, then, I, I thought I'd just better answer that before some of you were like, yeah, woe is me. It's not hard being a Christian in the UK at the moment. I mean, come on, you know, the, if, if you were a Christian in Syria, if you were a Christian in Iraq, then you may have reason to be going, to, to be looking in the way a little bit. Okay, not that they are, but you might have an understandable reason for it. Folks, none of us do. Not one of us has any reason, not one of us has any excuse for for becoming so focused on this that we forget about that. And and, and that's what the disciples were doing. They were saying, do you know what? Jesus, when are you going to build our kingdom? And Jesus says, you don't get it. And he doesn't quite say that to them. But but that's the point of it. He says, he's essentially saying, Israel, and for us, the church is so much bigger encouragement of encounter but with encounter comes challenge the next thing that it brings therefore uh, is that is that it, it's all about a change of place for the disciples so they're they're sitting there I think the word uh, Steve Brown will perhaps correct me on this next week when I'm on holiday so uh, but I think it's centripetal is that where you're looking in the way scientists Brian is that right centrifugals going out centripetals going in yeah Fantastic. I paid attention in A-level chemistry. No, I got kicked out of GCSE chemistry. Um, I'm old enough to know what GCSEs are. Um, Israel's view was centripetal. They looked in the way. They were inward focused. And yet what Jesus was saying to them in this encouraging encounter is you need to flip your focus out the way. You need to have a focus that is going out because not only have you got this whole kingdom slash church thing wrong or maybe not let's let's not say wrong because that might be but it's incomplete but also you've got your task as believers in the world wrong yes our task as believers is to worship God of course it is what could we do when we encounter God except worship Except fall on our knees in adoration and praise. 
But it isn't all about falling in and looking at each other. It's about taking our worship out and living lives, as Paul says in Romans 12. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Make your whole life your worship. So the disciples were challenged on their view of what the church was. They were challenged on, what, on where the church was to be. It wasn't just to be in Jerusalem. It wasn't just to be in that upper room. It was to be out into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We also see that an encounter with God, whilst incredibly encouraging, is also challenging because it makes us change our theology. I want us to think about Peter for a moment. If you were to flip through Acts a little bit further. You'd see Peter up on a roof praying. And he has this vision of some food and it's coming down. And, and, he, and he gets this vision and, and he's like, I think that God is saying to me. And he hears God saying it to him. So that's why he thought he was. Um, I think that God is saying to me that I can eat all of those things. But Peter's Jewish. The early church was Jewish, remember. Peter's Jewish and, he's, and he says, but, but God, I've kept myself clean all of my life. I've kept myself ceremonially clean. I've not eaten any of that sort of thing. My theology is built around this kind of code of conduct, this code of living, this ethical way of being. And, God's, and, and in an encounter with God, Peter's theology is changed and challenged and changed. And this is a much more... Um, this is a much more, or a much more potentially challenging area for us to think about. But nevertheless, it is one that we need to be prepared for. Because there is nothing more sad, is there, than seeing somebody who has made a mistake, but isn't prepared to admit it, and just goes on living in light of that mistake. Do you know what I mean? So it's like people who, they know that Manchester United are the best football team in the world. Okay? But... They're just so proud because they think Man City are. And they're so proud that they will not change their mind. Okay? Unfortunately, there are people like that in the church, believe it or not. I remember hearing a great Christian pastor and writer and speaker, R.T. Kendall speaking. And uh, he talked about the tragedy of men who had written books, and, and remember that, they, that that's his generation when he says men who had written books about ministry and about faith in their 20s, and who had dogmatically refused to change their minds throughout the course of the rest of their life, because they were like, if I put it into print, I have to stick with it. And yet the truth of scripture is that a genuine encounter with God means that our theology changes, our theology develops. It doesn't mean that God changes. It doesn't mean that the truth changes, okay? But it just means that you didn't get the truth originally, okay? None of you have a monopoly on truth. None of you can stand there and say, do you know what? I absolutely know 110% everything there is to know about God. Okay, because if you did, you would be God, and if you thought that, that would be idolatry, and you, yeah, you're screwed. Um, not you're not, because of Jesus, but, but, do you know, but do you know what I mean? 
none of us have the monopoly on that. And so an encounter with God whilst encouraging will also lead to a change in our theology. Apparently Augustine, one of the great writers in the early church, I think I've said this before, but apparently Augustine was writing a book of retractions at the point at which he died. In other words, this great scholar, great leader, great theologian, one of the greatest theologians there's ever been, was writing a book at the point of his death in which he said, I got that wrong. And I got that wrong. And I got that wrong. Because through encounter with God, whilst encouragement would no doubt have been there, it must have been because it was an encounter with the living God. He also recognized that challenge came and his theology was going to be impacted. The final thing that I think I want to say, just looking at time, there is, there's much more, but again, I don't want to be too prescriptive here but is that an encounter with God whilst encouraging will lead to our picture of God being challenged Paul thought that he knew God Paul thought that he was doing right by God Paul was a man who was seeking to walk with God and suddenly he has this encounter with Jesus where this voice, and we know it's Jesus, and Jesus says to him, you know, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And at that moment, Paul, at that time called Saul, went from being a a, a Jew who believed it was... um, blasphemous to say that God had a son to believing that Jesus was the son of God. He had this, you know, again I say it must have been encouraging for Paul to encounter the living God. Scary, he went blind. But it must have been encouraging because he was having an encounter with the living God. But at the same time, he faces this huge challenge and for Paul his challenge was to who Jesus was, who Jesus is. I believe that as we continue to to seek to meet and encounter with God, we will be encouraged. You will be encouraged. I will be encouraged. But I also believe we need to be ready to be challenged as well. One of the things that is really exciting me. So we talked about how an encounter with God is going to change how we view the church. And I am so excited at the moment here at Southside by the process that we're going through with calling our new leadership. I'm having conversation after conversation with people who have vision and excitement and, and passion about where we're going as a church. I know that all of you do as well. But as I sit there and meet with these people, and it's my privilege to do that and as I look forward to this retreat day that we're going to be have I see a group of people who absolutely get this because of our encounter with God the church is not necessarily going to look like it looks now and, and, and you know, I want to say, I was saying to Karen the other night, what would it take to imagine what Southside or the church in air, I was actually saying wider than the church in air, uh, than just Southside, but let's call it Southside for a moment. What would it take, what would it look like if we could imagine 25 years forward for Southside? 
Okay, what would it imagine to say through our encounter with God, we want to keep Jesus the main thing, but only Jesus? How church looks could change completely. That's why we don't call this church anymore. We call it gathering. Church is who we are. This is our gathering. This is one of our gatherings. And and, and so what would it look like for us to reimagine what the life of the local church looked like? Not in light of how we've always done things, which is what the disciples were doing here when they say, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But in light of what Jesus is saying to us now, what would, it, what would it mean for our theology if we were to, every time we pray, be open to God speaking to us like he, spoke to Peter, like he spoke to Peter when Peter was up on that roof? I wonder how many of you are making time in prayer. And, you know, and again, one finger out, all of these fingers back at me. Making time in our prayer for God to speak to us. To actually say, I want that encounter, but I also want that challenge. I wonder if we were thinking and praying about where you're calling me to be, God. Whether we might suddenly realize that it isn't all about this, but it's all about that. Or it's about both and far more than perhaps it is at present. And I wonder where our view of Jesus is deficient. And we need, literally like Paul, to have scales fall from our eyes and to hear him say, I am Jesus. And for us to go, okay. We need an encounter with Jesus that will challenge us and not only encourage us. I want to leave us with a question and it's, it's one that I've been kicking around myself and like we're, we're going off on holiday tomorrow for a couple of weeks and I hate it when <laughs> I hate it when God challenges me at really inconvenient times does anybody else get that it's just like oh God couldn't you wait for me to get back from holiday can you just can you wait for me to spend that money or to do that activity or whatever it might happen to be but then along come these challenges along come these uh, these things into our lives and you think well that must be the Lord because I would not be having those thoughts at this moment in my life <laughs> otherwise but my question is simply this are we using the gospel to simply sanctify our current way of living or are we asking for an encounter with God in which we are re- willing to not only be encouraged but to be challenged, to change, and to shape our lives and our recreation and our spending and our relationships and everything around what he says to us in that encounter. Let's pray.